All right, everybody, it's uh, just for a timestamp when the Armageddon happens and uh, future generations dig this out of um, the earth, the layered earth from the zombie apocalypse. It is the 20th of March, um, and I'm joined today by Will Niblo, who is a frequent guest on the podcast. I can say that now. You're a frequent guest. A regular. You're, re you're a regular guest. And... Um, you know, we've, we've been um, joking about the coronavirus being the end times, I suppose. What, what if everyone taking the malaria drug is what starts the zombies? What if that's what happens? That would be, that would be awful. Wouldn't it be awful? Um, you know, I, I didn't want a virus. I wanted zombies. I'll be honest. I've, I've been preparing for whichever way it was going to go, but I suppose... I feel like people are just going to treat it the same way, though. You know, just because they don't have, you know, like oozing, you yeah. know, and open pus, you know, like sores. Like, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, when I go to the grocery store, I still kind of treat everyone like they're a zombie. I want six feet I distance. Have. I look yeah. at them a bit estranged. There's a large group of people coming towards me. I hide amongst the eggs and cheeses. Yeah. For, for a man who has to sell for a living, well, I, I really detest people. So this has been... A uh, tremendous way for me to just really embrace my inner misanthrope. That is a strange uh, paradox. It is. It is a, a very strange paradox. Uh, so we're doing this video today. It will be on, on YouTube eventually. Um, uh, so I do have to ask now that Tom Brady has gone to Tampa Bay, do you um, plan on joining him? Because you do look just like Julian Edelman with that beard. No, I haven't got the call. No, no call yet. No. Can no you uh, can you split one piece of a, a log with a with an axe with that? Or have you done the lumberjack games? No. I I am a man that uh, wields a mighty laptop. I have uh, soft hands, not <laughs> the hands of an industrial working man. At what point did you wake up one day and just say, "I'm going to grow a Bryce Harper esque, uh, Grizzly Adams like beard"? Uh, when, when someone actually, true story is, uh, one, a bunch of my friends did this and I learned that you can get past the itchy phase. Yes. So every man knows that there's an itchy phase yep, yep. and it is what prevents most beards from occurring because mm -hmm. there's, you just, how could you live being itchy constantly? Well, my buddy, uh, told me two weeks, suck it up and it's never itchy again. You just got to get to the other side of the beautiful rainbow. So I went for it eight years ago, I got over the hurdle, like, you know, climbing Everest, uh, and it was utopia. It was everything that I imagined it would be. And so uh, I just stayed with it. Does Mrs. Niblo like the beard? Is she a fan? Uh, so true story, had it for my first year, and she gave me the, you know, the typical, you got to shave that thing, you look ridiculous, because yeah. it's true, and I get it. Sure. sure. Uh, and so I did. I went down in the basement and hacked this thing up, and came back upstairs and she looked at me and she goes, you now look like a total wuss. Got it. And you need Got to grow it. it back immediately. Wow. Well, that is a long lesson to have. To, I mean, it takes forever to grow it. So. It does. Yeah. So it is here to stay until it turns gray and I look like Santa Claus. Yeah. I, I shaved my beard off when my daughter was three and she came around the corner and said, who are you? <laughs> she'd never seen me without it. So that was a bit disturbing for her. But we're not here to talk about men's facial hair. We've, uh, we've decided to do what everyone else is doing and talk about coronavirus. So um, I'm going to kick it off. 
by talking a little bit about food logistics. I was um, fortunate, unfortunate, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, I'm going to say fortunate that for a period of time, Dan Dan, the import man and I worked for C.H. Robinson. And what a lot of people don't know is that C.H. Robinson, aside from being a uh, monolithic logistics firm, is also in the fresh fruit and vegetables business uh, and quite good at it. And we got to learn a lot about the incredible complexities of delivering fresh fruit and vegetables to people. And I've always been fascinated by it and fascinated by the press. So I keep up on it. And there's some cool statistics that I was talking to you about. There is currently 450 million pounds of frozen chicken in cold storage. Uh, they are currently delivering the hot dogs to grocery stores that we were saving for, is it, no, yeah, Labor Day is the first one, right? Not Labor Day. So that's how many hot dogs people are eating. They're, they're rifling through them. And we're, we're in pretty good shape. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not really a question of whether or not we've got enough meat. It's, it's a good thing. American farmers are loving the fact that people are consuming all of this, all of this frozen uh, protein uh, or chilled protein. And uh, I was having a laugh the other day when I went into my local grocery store and people weren't buying the, the non-easy cuts, you know, the ribs and the, like, I know how to cook. You can, you can leave anything you want. I'm picking that up. But I also have a lot of carcasses in the freezer from being a big, dumb redneck. So I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. But uh, America's food security is, is incredible. So I'm basically shocked at how terrified people are of our ability to keep ourselves fed. I'm not, I'm not so concerned about it. Well, I, you and I both uh, work with a lot of folks in the food industry. So, you know, I, right now I have three clients I'm working with on a direct basis and have been for the last six months that are all major food producers. And so what gives me great comfort is that they go to work every day and are making food. And so, you know, I, you go into a store and you listen to the media all day and Lord, if you got Twitter, you're really just going to scare yourself all day long. <laughs> but then you go into the store and you back up all that information with evidence of empty shelves. And you know, I, I had this beef with my family this weekend is uh, the sister-in-laws were sending nothing but pictures of empty shelves. Mm -hmm. And so spitefully, I drove to my grocery store and I took a picture of all the full shelves, which of which there was 10 of those to every half of one that was empty. Mm -hmm. But it just, it just perpetuates this thinking that, uh, you know, we have this insecurity, but, you know, look, on Monday morning, uh, my clients went back to work and started making food and working overtime. Uh, we got a new client that we're engaging with uh, uh, and they want to do some things on the operation side to improve the efficiency of how they work. They said, hey, let's put that on hold because we our orders with, uh, you know, the Walmarts and the and the targets and the and the Meyer is, geez, it's it's tripled, uh, yeah. because we have kind of this near term rush. But, I mean, rest assured, uh, food manufacturers are producing and, they're doing smart things, right? Uh, they're doing the things that they need to do to practice the five, right? They got the hygiene in place. They're doubling up their efforts on making sure that their plants are secure. Uh, they're spending time educating their employees and talking about you know safe work practices and making sure that people are healthy and stay home if you're not and this and that. And so I, you know, I rest very easy. Uh, I, I'll admit I did some light hoarding 
I did. It's because I got, it's because I got a thing with tater tots, and apparently there was a run on ice cream. And if I run out of my rocky road, I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah. Uh, but that was not because I felt insecure. It's just because I like tater tots and rocky road. That sounds like a heck of a diet for somebody who's as swole as you. I can't imagine you do a lot of tater tots and rocky road. Um, you know, in moderation. In moderation. Let's let's be clear though. Uh, the American farmer rocks. I don't think that we. You're you're a Midwest guy. I'm a Texan. Um, when I'm not living in New Hampshire, I suppose, uh, and working in D.C. like I am today, which is a Scooby Doo ghost town currently. It's very creepy. I am three. I'm 300 yards away from from the White House right now, and I'm looking out my window. There's not a single car on the street, and there is not a single pedestrian. Wow. So, and it is noon. When normally I would look out there and people everywhere. But in any case, um, you know, I'm I'm. I'm always very proud of American agriculture and farmers rock in this country. So they're uh, very good at producing the, the basics that we need. And I'm, I have absolutely all the faith in the world and their ability to produce it. It's just a question of getting it to the manufacturing sites or uh, processing sites as the case may be and doing it from there. I think the um, place where I had pause and we talked a little bit about this a little while ago was, um, you know, labor and two places in labor. The first would be in the processing facilities, but I know they're doing a lot with the health of those people, uh, making sure that we're uh, checking temperatures and such, right? And then the second is truckers. You know, We never talk enough about them. You and I have talked about truckers, but the, the fact that these guys are working now, they've had a lot of the restrictions on rest and, this, and the such um, taken off of them. That's a really big deal, keeping truckers on the road and this virus and, and the quarantines has not helped them and closing of stuff has not helped them to get their job done. On the labor side, I, I've been really uh, pleased and impressed and honestly forever grateful for how companies are reacting to this mm -hmm. and taking precautions. Yeah, specifically, you know, we're talking about food manufacturers uh, there's there's lots of situations where people are working in close close proximity all day long and so you know the same things that people are doing uh you know to kind of practice remotely uh work practices as you can see i'm working outside of a wooden crate today uh just to keep myself secure uh you can't do that in a manufacturing setting people have to come to work and so you know relentless education of employees and making sure you're aware of who's healthy who's not and and importantly, when and if somebody gets sick, because eventually someone will have a cold, whatever, uh, or something, then you got to have a way to respond to that. And, and I'm very pleased to say my clients are, are doing that. You know, one, you know, it's not all roses, right? So I got another client uh, that's trying to operate in, in Los Angeles right now, and they're a distribution business, and it's for a non-essential product. It's, it's in the beauty care space. But they, they really are having a heck of a time uh, getting folks into the distribution center. Uh, it's kind of in the LA area uh, to fulfill orders. Um, you know, in these areas like, you know, I imagine San Francisco and I imagine LA and other places that are on, you know, more of a stringent lockdown. Uh, I imagine there are other folks like this particular client that are having their challenges on getting people into the facility yeah. to, do, to do the work. And so, uh, I mean, there aren't really convenient or easy answers for that. Uh, I think, I think 
that's going to be uh, uh, something that people are going to have to work through here for the next few months. Yeah. Well, um, you know, about, about the truckers, uh, it's a pretty crappy lifestyle to begin with. And I know that rest stops up and down highways have been closed. I think I've, I don't know if I forwarded you that, that internal email I got from, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're closing down highway rest stops like on 95 and the such. And then the McDonald's and the such might be open, but only the drive-through. So the truckers can't walk up to the drive-through to get food and they can't go in to get food. Ugh. So then they're leaving their, you know, their, their trailer, their load and their tractor someplace off a highway, which is going to cause problems with possible pilferage and people being opportunistic to try to do thefts. So that's an issue. Hmm. And these guys need to rest eventually. So they got to find places to rest. So, you know, and hopefully these rest stops will still be open for that, but these guys are working hard and uh, they deserve some, some love and affection for that. I had a, uh, I posted today on LinkedIn. There's a list that DHS put out of what they consider to be, um, how was the word they use? Essential, essential workers during the crisis. And they actually had logistics and supply chain workers. So yeah, funny thing about uh, uh, funny thing about supply chain, it doesn't work without trucks and boats and trains. Yeah. Oh, and, and people behind phones and dispatchers. And oddly enough, um, supply chain consultants and trading customs consultants were not on the list. So we are not uh, we are not essential, my friend. No, <laughs> no one, including my family, has ever described me as. <laughs> Essential. Essential. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, us sitting on the phone all day and, and doing spreadsheets and flow charts is not considered essential. What's, what's the margin on that email? Very yeah. high. Very, very, very strong. High. Very strong. Yeah. Uh, have you been watching anything particularly, binge watching anything particularly good? Yeah. Actually, we just started uh, Outsiders. Uh, the Outsider? Outsider, yes. It's very good. Uh, it is really good. And honestly, what I like about it most is, uh, you know, we, didn't, we don't spend a ton of money on media, but we do have a pretty good surround sound system. And the, and the noise in the background during the scenes, super awesome. Yeah. Great show. So I've, uh, I've I, I, I watched The Hunters. I was let down by the ending. I'm not going to tell anyone any more than that. Uh, I absolutely loved McMillions. Have you watched that yet? Uh, new, but I'll write it down. So, and how I didn't know about this, it really bothers me, really bothers me because coming from a family of lifetime felonious, uh, organized crime, uh, I, I did not know anything about this, but apparently, do you remember the, the monopoly game for McDonald's? Yes. It was fixed. Yeah. From the very beginning. And they, yeah. they go into all of it and it was all fixed by the mob. I never knew any of that. Wait a minute. The, the monopoly one? Yep, it, the mob had it fixed from the very beginning. More than I heard about the one instance where the one guy rigged it, but you're telling me like all the time? The entire time. For years, for like a decade or so, they had it. You gotta watch that. Yep. And then uh, I started watching Boardwalk Empire again because I loved it so much. I rewatched it. They, they, they took um, some liberties with a lot of mafia stories, but it's, uh, it's quite good. So I'm rewatching that. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Did you see The Irishman yet? I did. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You paint houses? Yeah, I, 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 love, I love that stuff. <laughs> but for me, you know, a hardcore movie guy, to not be able to go into a cinema is really breaking my heart because I love going with my daughter into a movie theater, getting a big bucket of popcorn and being blown away, like you said, by the sound. And I love the whole experience, man. And I love I'm, that. I'm dying. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, back on the topic of transportation, um, we talked a lot about plan B's before. And here's some things to consider. Yesterday, our friends in China told us they have no new cases of the coronavirus. Now, I'm not going to sit here and get into a long drought discussion about how much I believe in that. But let's say that that's correct. Let's say that they've, they've, they've gone uh, beyond any more new viruses and the China production facility is back up on, we're back, we're ready to rock and roll. A lot of people over the course of the past couple of weeks, so let's see, we told them because of the trade war, they needed to get their crap together, right? And they didn't really pay attention to that. Um, and then, you know, we had a lot of issues with the logistics, logistical strain because of that around the world. And now the virus is hitting them. Um, we had problems with them possibly closing the borders with Mexico. No one paid attention to that one. And now there's a European trade war as well. What do we have to do? You know, I feel like I've been walking around the guy with the sign on Instagram. You know, what, what do we have to get these guys to pay attention? Um, is, is this finally going to be enough now? Is everyone just going to go rushing back to China and it's going to be business as usual? Uh, you know, in the near term, what I have found is uh, no, no one has not been affected. Like this has had an impact on everyone. Even if you don't have, you know, a direct line of supply to China, as an example, you got suppliers that do. Mm -hmm. So everyone has had some type of an event that was the, the kick in the rear that was needed to bring a level of attention to this uh, that maybe wasn't there before. Right. Uh, and, all, and all my clients, I can't think of a single exception, has had to mobilize in some way in a very uh, direct and professional fashion to dealing with their emergency. And keep in mind, everyone's emergency is different, right? So some people's emergency is, I sell, I'm in hospitality, right? The emergency is we can't operate. We have to find a new way of operating. We have to reinvent how we're uh, selling and marketing our product, right. right? So locally here, everyone's marketing their, you know, their family meal. We'll deliver it. We'll drop it on your porch and we'll run away. You'll never have to see us. <laughs> you know, it's true. We got clients that are, uh, you know, their issue is, is lost sales, oil and gas, right? I mean, that's, that's a really tough place to be right now, be in the airlines, right? That's a tough place to be right now. Some people, their emergency is on the supply side. They're heavily sourced in, uh, in China and in South Korea and have experienced near-term disruption. The best practice has been to mobilize the leaders of your company around those issues and to work really hard on staving off the, as much disruption as possible on a near-term basis, which has you know, 20 different answers for your particular situation, but these are the types of things that need to have visibility at an executive level so they can be dealt with, you know, decisively and effectively. And that's been working really well. But unfortunately, uh, we have very short memories. And so, you know, let's say, let's just say for the sake of this discussion that the, uh, uh, the Chinese manufacturing machine is back up and running and we start to receive a fluid supply of goods from, that, from those places. Are we going to take a big sigh and forget uh, the last two months and the anxiety and lost sleep and concern and expedites and putting stuff on airplanes? I hope not. 
Uh, I got a client, uh, we're having a conversation on Monday, and this is the exact topic. They've said, we don't want to put our head back in the sand and uh, live this again. And so what we're going to help them do is, you know, kind of review and segment their supply chain. And as they would characterize it, identify the blind spots. And let's start proactively putting some plans in place of the red buttons we would need to press if events like this were to occur in the future, whether it be on a regional basis or on a global basis. And, you know, there's no perfect answer and how far and to what extent you take that. But I mean, if you think about the worst case scenario in manufacturing, it's the uh, single source part and some remote part of a different third world country with one set of tooling and we don't have a direct relationship. Yeah. And those, those situations uh, are out there. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we can't get the tooling back or send it anywhere else. And we sold the tooling to our vendor. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I can totally dig that, man. And you don't, you don't want to be in a situation where you start missing deliveries or ship or receiving parts when you're trying to figure out from the starting point of who owns the tool and is it transferable and transferable to who? Yeah. I mean, if you just think through those three steps in advance, that's three weeks of the problem right there. Mm -hmm. But how many people have thought through it? It's, uh, it's, it's really frustrating. Uh, so, so, you know, to pivot a little bit, um, from a regulatory perspective, customs has been operating around the world that hasn't seemed to have been an issue. We constantly get rumors about state shutting down, but I, I do know that overseas right now, countries have closed their borders, but commerce is still flowing. So one of the things I was worried about from the very beginning was uh, belly aircraft. So for those of you who are listening who don't understand this, cargo of a certain height cannot move on passenger aircraft and a great deal of cargo moves on passenger aircraft. But once it reaches a certain height, it has to go on cargo aircraft only. But a significant portion of all the cargo that moves around the world moves on passenger aircraft. So there's been a lot of people worried that because we're not moving people across the oceans, we're not moving cargo. But if you look on any kind of social media, if you pay attention to a lot of the, um, I guess the hype game that's going on with freight forwarders right now, they're doing a very good job of letting people know that between charters and um, I don't know how to put it, but passenger aircraft moving without passengers, they're, they're putting capacity out there to move things for people that need things moved. So I don't know about pricing. I haven't asked about that, but I, I, I can't imagine that it would be very bright to, um, to, to over, uh, over leverage one's position in the market right now. I don't think that you'd have much of a market afterwards if you got a little too cute with that. The thing, the thing that I love about freight the most is that there are so many different levers that you can pull within freight and logistics that control your cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like, you know, buying a widget where, you know, it's a fairly direct function of labor machine time and, you know, these things. This is, I mean, cubing out, right? Getting more pounds on trucks, being more efficient in your routing, mode selection. Hey, maybe don't wait to the last minute to order everything. How There's crazy is that? Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's have a better let's have a better process for planning and coordinating uh, uh, sales, inventory, and operations like that. What's that worth? Millions, right? For most companies, 
And then the conversation that always offends the sales guys in the room, especially at a manufacturing company, who pays for freight? Thank you. I mean, you want to become the most unpopular person in the room quickly, start having that conversation. Uh, it's built into the cost of the product. Is it? Is it? Because I'd like to see some math on that. Because I, what I'm seeing is, is that it's not. We got a pretty severe delta. And then the worst part of all, like, it's really hard to understand if you're upside down on freight or if it's a revenue center for you or because it's baked into so many other things. And so it's just this big convoluted thing. Well, so right now, I mean, the goal is always ensure supply, get capacity, get your stuff on it. And I'm not having clients calling me and telling me that they can't get the truck. They can't get the cargo. They have a hard time getting it released from customs that time if it came out of a you know, a region that has a lot of outbreak, a lot of issues, but they, they're getting their stuff on. Now they're paying prices that they may not like. Now when, now when that occurs, that just makes the efficiency pieces so much more important, right? Are we doing things that are smart to consolidate? Are we getting more pounds on trucks? Do we know and have the right priorities behind these things? Are we working with our strategic carriers in the right way? Do we know what they're doing? And then importantly, who ultimately is going to pay the premium in freight that we are going to absorb for this short period of time that this bubble exists? And do we have smart strategies for sharing that burden with our customer? Because, because the answer is let's make sure we have it because our customer needs it, but it's not let's take it on the chin and margin because uh, we're not watching it. Yeah, yeah the, uh, I find it's pretty rare that people have got a contingency in to manage that. Um, or that they're comfortable talking to their customer about it. If a customer understands that there's an environment right now where you're challenged to find space, then they need to also understand that you're challenged to find it as well. And so you, yep. should, you should share in that pain in some form or fashion. Yeah. So I wanted to pull up, let me see if I can do this. This is a, this is me trying to use technology, everybody. So, so please bear with me. All right. So did that come up? Yeah, nailed it. Nailed All right. It. So as of today, we've got. Uh, hold on, let me, uh, let me see if that changes. All right. According to Johns Hopkins, fabulous school, we have two hundred and fifty. Wow. So from the time I turned it on this morning until now, it's gone up um, nearly seven thousand cases. We have. Uh, 254,653 confirmed cases worldwide with 10,415 deaths. Uh, and the good news, 87,351 people have recovered. Uh, so when you, um, you know, when you, when you look at the world, as unfortunate as this is, and we, you know, we, we begin to look at the, um, the major manufacturing centers where a lot of American production is happening and uh, we get away from Wuhan. Right now, uh, on today, again, this being March the 20th, those, those red dots have gotten significantly smaller, which is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news. And um, certainly makes everyone feel a lot happier, more comfortable. So for those of you who've been using this map, you are able to isolate um, based on country and, um, which is what we're doing here. And you can see that, you know, Wuhan still has the, the most number of cases, but not new cases. These are just people that have it. 
so the new cases aren't, aren't happening, which of course is wonderful news. We're all very happy to hear about. Um, when, you, when you bust out though, and we head over to our side of the world, it gets pretty scary. Um, the second highest total, of course, being Italy. And when we begin to focus in on Italy, I guess the question was, how did so many happen in Italy? I've got an answer on that yet. I don't know if you have, but um, I, you know, I wonder if it was because of Northern Italy, of course, is where Milan is and Milan being a fashion center. I wonder if infected people from China because of the fashion center might've brought it over with them. And same thing in Spain, Spain being a fashion center. But 41,000 people in Italy, 19,980 um, coming in from Spain. And if you look at the death tolls, um, also really not very good news in the slightest. Um, when you get to the death tolls for uh, Italy and you're 3,405 at this point, which is more than any other part of the world. So it's um, really scary when you look at the number of people. Now, when I talk to folks on the terrorism side who follow this very closely, because there's a lot of, uh, and I really hate to put it this way folks, but there's a lot of, of continuity between how we look at chemical and biological warfare and how we look at viruses. They all have the same things that they say, you know, how stuff moves, how it goes across, how it moves along. Um, one person gets it, then two people get it, then those two people give the two people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You watch the flow and, and the algorithms really do matter. So when we look at the way that it's moving across the world in this particular graphic, the yellow line is how it's moving across other countries. That is not flattening um, when you look at it around the world. Now, I do not have uh, one for, for uh, just the United States. So that's a little bit frustrating for me. Um, but for, for mainland China, it has flattened and we aren't getting any new cases, which is good. And for recovery, it's still continuing to go up. So we're getting a lot more people recovering than we are dying, which is great news. We were talking earlier about how there appears to be some sort of uh, link between the use of malaria drugs and, um, and maybe a possible treatment for this virus. I've had malaria drugs many times in my life. Uh, they make me pretty sick. Um, my shot record is a who's who of tropical diseases. I'll let you know that right now. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll, yeah, it's, it's not pleasant, man. Um, but at this point, the United States is down the list behind Germany at 14,250. If we were to have looked at this, um, I mean, honestly, a week ago, that number was way, way down. But how much of that is a question of, of testing, you know, as more and more people get tested, really all, all the math on this, it's not like it's spreading like wildfire, who knows? You know, we don't know how many folks had it last week and just didn't get tested. We don't know how many have it right now and haven't been tested. I was saying to Will before we even got on the call today, for all I know, I have it right now and I just don't have any symptoms. So this is, um, you know, trying times and difficult times, but I, I think the important thing to keep in mind, at least from the conversation we're having right now is, people are still moving food, truckers are still doing their job, People in logistics are working very, very hard to continue to do what they need to do. And um, I think if anything, this is becoming a lesson in understanding that we can become more efficient and that whatever higher power you believe in continues to give us reasons to become more efficient. So we might want to heed them. Uh, yeah, so that is it for 
me sharing uh, my my screen, which I can't believe I did correctly. That's a heavy way. That's a heavy way to end a, a podcast. Yeah, it is. So you got to bring, like bring it back, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, he, here's the way I'm gonna. I mean, I I um I used to go to um on vacations with my parents to Oklahoma. That's the kind of heady excitement that um, Big John Mento and Sonia would pull for for me <laughs> when I was younger, and um. It never failed that it wouldn't rain in Oklahoma for like five years. Yeah. And then we would get up there to some campground where my parents rented a cabin and it would just be a dismal pour down for like four or five days. And so I would be stuck in a cabin with my two behemoth parents who couldn't stand one another. It was a, it was a hate you could almost smell and taste in the room. So the smell in the cabin was a combination of stale cigarettes um, Schaefer beer and barbecue and hate. And, and, and we would, we would sit in this cabin that did not have a television and had an AM radio while okay. my parents, my parents would get significantly drunker as the day would go on. And then at night we would play board games. This is a charming childhood. Oh, oh just wait, it gets better. So these board games were some of the favorite moments of my childhood ever. And I think that we have forgotten how much fun it is to play board games. But what I've learned is that my parents cheated with absolute reckless abandon now that I've gotten <laughs> older. So what I'm looking forward to doing is, is just being um, the committing larceny at Monopoly with my daughter um, the next opportunity I get. I think that we as parents need to teach our children that banking, real estate, and the government are not fair by cheating endlessly at Monopoly with our children. And really yeah, short how it works. Yeah. McDonald's did it. So <laughs> there you go. Bring it back to there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, lastly, um, I'm going to give a podcast. Do you have any podcasts you would recommend for people to pass the time with? Just like my favorites, my staples. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I am a radio lab freak and so I'm, I'm an NPR nut and I could never get enough this American life. I just can't help myself. Yeah, that's an excellent one. Uh, I, um, I, of course, love Brian Callen. I've, I, have, uh, I consider him to be a, a wonderful person and a friend, and I love his Mixed Mental Arts podcast, which is um, a fascinating podcast if you have a chance to listen to it. And I am, um, I am also a rabid fan of, um, oh gosh, let me, get, let me make sure I get the, the name right. It's called The Portal. And... Uh, with Eric Weinstein and the portal has some pretty incredible people on it, but he just did one on um, Epstein, which I think everyone should listen to. So uh, if you're looking for great podcasts, there's one for you, but this one is over. I am going to go walk the streets like Will Smith and I am legend and try to find something for lunch. Will, you are uh, a wonderful guest and uh, you and your family stay safe and I will talk to you next week. Always a pleasure. All right. Thanks, buddy. I'll yeah. talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.